thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, superstar listeners. Thanks so much for joining us on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. Oh, and Ash, you sound so much more upbeat um, than what I feel right now. So thank you for bringing that um, that amazing energy. Um, I don't know if you can actually hear it in my voice. I am uh, just having a bit of an immune health expression at the moment. So guys, thank you for bearing with this. Um, Ash, I feel like it's one week it's me and then it's you and then it's back to me again um, in terms of <laughs> I think, yeah, last episode I was like surviving, uh, you know, trying to hold my breath so I wouldn't cough and now it's, uh, yeah, and we don't, it's not even, you know, we're not near each other, we're not sharing this love to each other. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's so, so strange. Oh, um, frustrating. So ladies, tonight's episode is about um, the other, uh, actually no, I need to be really careful about how I say this, um, tonight's episode is about contraceptive options for men. Hmm. And there's been so much in the media lately about, you know, these new amazing studies that are coming out and this new, like, you know, best ever incredible contraceptive um, for men. And there's a new, essentially like the pill for men. Um, Lots and lots of men have been polled saying they would happily take it. It's interesting that it's created this really interesting debate between men and women as well because they're also polling women, asking them if they would trust the men to be taking that responsibility to, which I just think is is such an interesting conversation to have. And I like the fact that we're having this conversation, but I'm also incredibly conflicted about the whole idea as well. 
So just like I have such concerns with women using hormonal contraceptives, um, I have the same concerns about men doing that as well, hormonal or not. Um, We've got a few different um, sort of contraceptive choices to discuss tonight. But one of the things that I do really like the idea of is that the focus for contraception, I think, has always been on the wrong gender for for pretty much the entirety of um, pharmaceutical intervention in contraception. Mm. And what I mean by that is that if you look at how, you know, the life cycle of men's fertility is and their fertilizing potential, so essentially how many women could men impregnate, say, in a 12-month period, and, you know, effectively men could get a different woman pregnant almost every day every single day of that year. So they are fertile 365 days of the year. They're making sperm every single day. Um, They are fertile for, you know, technically for the entirety of their life, even though their sperm, you know, count and quality and everything declines after about 46. But essentially they have the capacity to impregnate, you know, so many women along their journey, whereas women in their reproductive years could maybe get pregnant once a year. And that's if, um, you know, obviously they want to have a really big family or they're, um, you know, incredibly fertile or whatever it might be. So their potential for fertility is so much lower. And women have a maximum fertile window within a month of about six days. That's a maximum. So it's a maximum of 72 days a year. That's a potential. Whereas for men, it's like, you know, well and truly three times. <laughs> so, so basically, just, you're trying to blame the guys for world population, excessive population growth. Is that, <laughs> well, <just laughs> it sounds that, like, you know, we, we really can't be responsible for that, can we? We can, can only have one child a year. <laughs> well, that, that's uh, that, that's certainly technically true. And even though mm-hmm. sperm counts have, you know, declined by half over the last sort of 50 years or so, mm-hmm. and we've got this male fertility crisis. The point is that the focus of pharmaceutical or medical contraception has always been pointing in the wrong direction, I think. Um, And we're certainly submitting women to all of these hormonal interventions, which are not necessarily what we consider to be safe. So it disrupts their entire menstrual cycle, obviously. Um, It disrupts their hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. Sometimes it's got horrific side effects. Um, And, you know, we've gone on and on about this for gosh, how many hundreds of episodes. So, um, you know, if you've been on the journey with us, you'll know what our stance is on hormonal contraceptives um, and, you know, particularly long-acting contraception as well. However, that doesn't mean that the male option is any better, I think. And traditionally up until now, we've had the options of condoms, um, vasectomy, abstinence and withdrawal. Um, And, you know, withdrawal is cannot be reliable in all cases. Abstinence is, I think, unrealistic. Um, Ash, should we just talk about vasectomies straight off the bat? Because I think that that's really, really important for, I think, women to understand as well um, for their husbands. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, choosing our our family structure, because obviously we are in a privileged situation, a lot of us get Mm -hmm. to choose how many children would you like, you know, and when you have achieved the the family unit that you were hoping for or wish for, then you, you know, often then say, okay, well, let's make some decisions. Now, 
one of those decisions that I hear frequently in practice relates to uh, women telling me that their husbands are off to get the snip. And mm-hmm. it's made to sound so simplistic that this is the solution for all the family plan, you know, all the family mm-hmm. planning um, concerns. And I've always been really concerned by it because anecdotally, you know, we've had a chat and we've both got a mutual friend who's had a chat about this with us. And I remember thinking at the time going mm. like light bulb, like, oh my gosh, talking about how there's a lot of men in his family. And of those men, the only ones who haven't had prostate concerns or prostate cancer are the ones who did not get the vasectomy. And I thought that was fascinating. I was like, well, that's just, you know, obviously it's a small, you know, family unit, which is, you know, not reflective of the entire population but then i started to dig and start to look for some research on it thinking well that's anecdotal that's just one one person's observation that's a very interesting observation is there any substance to that is there any research to that and yes had really i was quite scared to see there is um historically over the last sort of 10 15 years it's been a bit wishy-washy. There's been discussions that it doesn't cause prostate cancer or it's not statistically mm-hmm. significant um but we've got now a 38-year nationwide cohort study um, of Danish men, and there's a study that involves 2.15 million men, um, and essentially the conclusion is that vasectomy is associated with a statistically significant increased long-term risk of prostate cancer. So that yeah. was pretty damning. Um, and this is a 2020 study. So if you want to look it up, we'll, we'll set a link. But um, it's in uh, the Journal of National Cancer Institute 2020, published in January the 1st. And it says vasectomy and prostate cancer risk, a 38-year nationwide cohort study. So, you know, it's um, that's that's big numbers. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's that a, that's is a, significant. That that's is... over a long period of time, which gives mm. quite a little weight to that. It's in a reputable mm. journal. Yeah. It's... You know, yeah. Um, so that's that. I guess that for me was like put the the argument to rest when people were saying, "Does this do it? Does it not do it?" I'm like, "Well, look, this study is pretty damning." Um, so yes, there is obviously risk associated with this, and is that an acceptable level of risk that you and your partner are willing to take? Um, and that's all it comes down to, isn't it? It's just a question of what risks are we willing to take? Um, because I, you know, I thought that you know, women we consequence we take risks all the time when we take things like our contraceptive pills mm-hmm. you know there's an, a certain acceptable risk of yes it could you know um clots associated with stroke related death like the, we if we're told these things we go okay well that's a risk i accept or don't like it but i just have to do that right um mm-hmm. so i think there's there's risk in almost any medical procedure even if it is something like a vasectomy yeah, exactly. And Ash, I think that that's the point. We're not saying, you know, change your mind about this or... No, no it's just um, understanding but risk. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's the point of informed consent, mm. um, which I think is critical when it comes to contraceptive options and especially for women because they're not, they're not told about any of these sorts of things. And I say especially for women because the other contraceptive options for men that we're going to go through now are still in their trial phases. However, it's, you know, really at the forefront of the media at the moment, which is why we really wanted to cover this. And apart from the vasectomy option, um, like what Ash just sort of mentioned there, there's been two other pill-like formulas that have come out that work on different pathways that have 
that they're essentially proposing to put out to the general public. Um, now, one of these is already being used in human trials, and I actually know for a fact that the men in the Australian military are on one of these trials as well, which I think is absolutely terrifying. Um, but, you know, that that it is what it is. And so there is some, there's a new pill that's come out that has been found to be 99% effective in the studies currently being conducted. Um, initially it was conducted on mice. It had um, approval for human clinical trials that started at the start of this year in 2022. And essentially the pill targets a protein called retinoic acid receptor alpha or R-alpha. RAR alpha. So inside the body, vitamin A is converted into a bunch of different forms, including retinoic acid, which plays an important role in cell growth, sperm formation, and embryo development. And retinoic acid needs to interact with that RAR alpha to perform those functions. And so those lab experiments have shown that mice with the gene that creates the RAR alpha are sterile. So essentially what they did is they um, gave the pill to male mice for four weeks. The pill um, found them to be 99% effective in preventing pregnancy with no observable side effects within that amount of time. Um, once they stopped the pill for the mice, their fertility potential returned within four to six weeks. Um, so it looks like over a short term that it was effective as a contraceptive and that fertility returned later, which I think is an important aspect of a contraceptive option. However, um, I'd be interested to follow this research and be sh and see what happens over a longer period of time because surely these men are not just going to take the pill for a four-week period. Um, you know, if it did roll out into human trials or even into the general public, um, like I'm actually really concerned about the science of this because the dosages they were giving the mice was actually based on the size and weight of the mice. So it was graded specifically for the individual um, uh, subject. And that is completely impractical in human application and human distribution because it would mean that every individual pill would have to be compounded per person. So that's impractical. That's not going to work and that would not be pharmaceutically um, viable. So there's this possibility of really high level of error and there's no one size fits all when it comes to contraception either. Um, now, they're also, like I said before, not going to be taking the pill just for a short period of time. It's going to be over an extended period of time. It could be for years and years, if not decades, similar to sort of oral contraceptive um, use in women. So what then are the risks with that? And then what then is the return to fertility after that? So how long will this stay in the system for? Um, how disrupted is this going to be? And what other areas of the system does it actually affect? So that's what I really want to know. Um, and that's the data that we don't have yet. Um, Ash, what do you think about that? I look, I understand, and I guess I share your concerns because you know, when you care about your partner, you want them to be, you know, healthy and well. When mm -hmm. you care about your son, your brother, you know, your father, it doesn't really matter. You know, you, the men in your life are important people. And we as females, you know, are quite familiar with risk associated with contraception, but I think it's exciting as well that they finally have an opportunity to take full control of their yeah. fertility as well. Like how many men, you know, end up with uh, children that they didn't want, that was not agreed upon and somehow they were, you know, misled into a situation that produced a child. Now, not to say that child is not wanted, but the pregnancy maybe wasn't wanted and they've had to learn how to father that child or not, you know, and that's, I think, 
the world today we live in with such a um, high degree of personal choice and, and an ability to control our future, so to speak, I think it's wonderful that men might have an opportunity for this. I think it's a really you know powerful uh, resource for men to have a choice with. But like you said, we need to know that it's as, essentially as safe as possible. Um, and I also think of then the um, genetic component, you know, obviously then in the future when they fall pregnant, has there been any alteration or changes? Mm. You know, is there anything that could risk the, the unborn fetus? Is there anything that could produce concerns if, for example, they've got an exceptionally low level of sperm, but one or two of them, you know, get through the gates and we have a conception? Are uh, those sperm at any risk? Have they been altered in any way? Well, that's, that's what I'm curious yeah. about. And when I was looking into what this RAR alpha gene actually does as well, so mm. its signaling is correlated with several signaling pathways in early embryologic development, right? So mm. it is essential for the formation of the embryonic axis, which establishes essentially symmetry in the offspring, wow. which is really important if you think yeah. about things like the symmetry of the brain, the symmetry of kidneys, for example, kidneys, we have two of, the right? heart. <laughs> yeah, chambers. Um, uh-huh. Absolutely. So um, it also influences neural differentiation mm-hmm. um, and it regulates the expression of pro-neural induction factors. So essentially lots of nervous system stuff, which is pretty, pretty important. Mm-hmm. It also affects cardiogenesis, so formation of new cardiac cells, and it plays a role in the formation of the atrial chambers as well as the development of the pancreas, kidneys, lungs, and extremities because obviously mm-hmm. that's that um, that that symmetry, that differentiation of symmetry. So my interpretation of that is that um, if this targets shutting down that RA alpha gene, then that differentiation will be altered. That uh, embryonic development will be altered. So I would expect that there would be a very, very high risk of um, congenital malformations um, or or defects. And also, is this going to affect other systems of the body in that grown man? So not just in the sperm. So if that RAA alpha gene affects cardiogenesis, does that mean it's going to affect repair pathways? I don't understand this well enough Mm. and I don't understand the science around it well enough to be able to say that with like absolute certainty. So it's definitely something that I need to look into further. Um, But I just think it's questions that have to be asked around this. Well, there's a big, you know, I guess gratitude to the men who are choosing to actively participate in trials to try and understand this better and to Mm -hmm. put their bodies on the line for the future of humanity, really, when you think about it, that they're giving opportunities that uh, may change the course of human history if we could find a very um, Mm. uh, suitable and uh, effective male contraceptive. That (laughs) could be quite extraordinary. And I do hope it gets to that. I mean, I I do hope there is that possibility Mm. that we could get something that has, you know, less side effects than what women experience with a contraceptive pill and, um, you know, more efficacy. It'd be really quite remarkable. So I'm grateful for all the researchers, you know, pushing hard to find out how this can work because look, it is, you know, on a more kind of big picture point of view, Human population growth is the greatest strain on this planet. So if Mm. we can have an active choice in how quickly we grow, you know, that whether we have children or not have children or um, how many we have, then I think that's a, a powerful tool for, you know, 
survival of the human species that we don't overpopulate and destroy our planet. So um, Mm -hmm. I can understand there's a few reasons why they're doing this, and I don't think it's altogether selfish. I think it's very, you know, humanitarian in the sense. Um, But, yeah, look, I also look at, um, you know, when you talk about comparative risk, right, we look at risks in all the things we do all day. You know, it's the career we have, it's the technique we choose, it's the things we put into our body. So this is really no different to that. And I think that if people are willing to take a, a certain degree of risk and they want to, and, you know, we may find down the track it you know, didn't work out the way we thought it did would or did um but we won't know until we get there and i think that's the interesting thing at this point in time that like you said we don't have enough data for these newer contraceptives it's going to take some time to figure it Mm. out um the you know the gentleman who's one of the reports was discussing he was saying that um you know he's he's expecting it to take at least 10 years before this comes a marketplace product um, mm-hmm. that's how much time yeah. it's going to take. That's how much research is going to have to continue. So um, whilst it's sounding really promising, exciting, we still could be a decade away from having it um, as a suitable and prescribed option for male contraception. So, And there's some of the um, some of the other targets, Ash, uh, mm-hmm. and there were, there's two other um, sort of main options that are emerging. And one is um, essentially looking at um, a compound that targets male sex hormone production, mm-hmm. which essentially can lead to side effects such as weight gain, depression, um, what we call andropause in men because it suppresses testosterone production. It increases their LDL cholesterol as well. Um, it can give them mild erectile dif- dysfunction, reduces their sex drive, increases tiredness, and can also give them acne. Um, I think that that would be so counterintuitive for a contraception to give them erectile dysfunction because that in itself would be, you know, partially a contraception um, and as well as reducing their sex drive. But so these were some of the compelling reasons why that currently in its um, form is not going to be a viable option because of that. However, interestingly enough, so many of those side effects except for the erectile dysfunction are similar side effects to what some um, co- some of the currently female-targeted contraception absolutely mm. causes, like reduced mm. libido, um, headaches, acne, um, fatigue, weight gain, and a whole bunch of other things, including messing with their cholesterol too. Mm. Um, now, one of the really new ones that's come out is actually looking at the effect of stinging nettle. So the plant stinging nettle as a potential source of an oral contraceptive because it actually targets two proteins of sperm transport. So it doesn't actually affect sperm viability or any other male characteristics, um, but it does affect the transport of that sperm. Now, um, I, if I, you know, could put my money on any of them, I think that that would possibly be the safest at the moment, but, um, I'm still waiting to see more science into that. Um, but I just think it's really interesting. And obviously, um, a plant based as close to nature option would always be preferable. Well, there is one that they've been trialing in, uh, mainly on Chinese men and it's an extract derived from cotton plant. Um, but obviously whilst it was, it adequately suppressed the sperm concentrations, um, to the point that it was considered a contraceptive, the 
problem they had with it, it one fifth of the patients in the studies um, had an effect that was irreversible. So, oh, um, so I guess if you don't know that that's going to be your situation, but it, it sounds like it's a, a suitable option if someone says, look, I have no intention of ever having any children and I don't want any and it can be permanent, I don't mind, um, then those sorts of things actually sound like they're, you know, potentially, you know, usable in the future. But anything that's a permanent uh, contraceptive like that could be, um, yeah, a long time before it hits the shelves. Um, if ever, because uh, obviously there's ethical reasons around that. So, look, there's a lot yeah. of things out there. You know, there's, there's particularly interestingly, the Chinese have been pushing hard here. I'm just looking at most of the studies that I'm looking at that uh, target contraception actually relate to, you know, Chinese herbal extracts and plant extracts, which is really interesting. Mm, um, I wonder if that is because of the huge population that they have there and they're always um, looking at trying to control that in one way or another. Yeah. Like obviously they used to have the one-child policy. Mm. Um, I think that that has recently changed, but, um, you know, the human growth population there has always been a bit of an issue. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it continues to grow at the same rate, particularly um, with the current fertility crisis that's happening worldwide. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so to our fabulous listeners, those are the current most up-to-date male contraceptive options. Some of them are obviously still very much in trial phases. Some are already being rolled out into the public. You may know someone who is on one of these trials as well. Um, I was pretty mortified to hear that they are actually um, trialling them on men in the Australian military, um, and I think they actually volunteered for that Um but I, I don't know, that just worries me so much. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, I think, I think that's it. Now you're up to date on that. And please, please, please um, have a read of that study about vasectomies for men as well, particularly if there's a family risk of prostate cancer. Yeah, and I think, again, we always do what we do because we want um, to help, I guess, help you understand that there's lots of different options out there. There's choices. There's, you know, different degrees of risk we all have. Um, and that's only for you to decide. This is never medical information um, to dictate what your choices are. It's all about, you know, just sharing things that hopefully send you in the right direction of further research and further information hunting. Mm -hmm. um, because for us, you know, as professionals, we believe that the greatest gift we have is to help people create, you know, informed choices in our practices as well um, and that just means that you need to be able to find the information or know it exists so that you can go down that rabbit hole of going okay well, what does this mean and um, how much risk is involved and is that acceptable to me and I don't think any two people ever have the same degree of acceptance of risk right um, so that's you know and that's also the beautiful unique thing about being uh, a, you know an individual and having choice so ladies hopefully um, yeah men in your life have choices they actually do have a few things that they can consider um, and then the question is you know what is going to be best for all of you so good luck <laughs> um i know that we haven't really had that discussion in our house because we've always you know felt like we've done between the combination of you know choices we have made we felt like we've always been able to moderate and control our risk around conception so mm -hmm. um again you know with good communication it may not always be necessary to have a male contraceptive you know it can be something that you can manage as a family together but mm -hmm. that's uh, that's our choice right <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm totally with you, Ash, and that's definitely sort of our our option of um, our choice as well, for sure. Um, I'm sure everyone can read between the lines there. <laughs> um, so 
Ash, thank you for that disclaimer as well about, you know, this not being medical advice. Please make sure that you um, have a read of the research that we um, sort of post with this episode as well, because I think some of that will be a little bit controversial and may take some time to digest as well. So ladies, you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health and men's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.